Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Command Space. Um, I am your host, Michael Hurley, and I am joined today by Mr. Jason Snell, who is head of IDG, executive producer of the Macworld. That are, yes. Yeah, I'm the editorial director at IDG. I'm in charge of Macworld and now also in charge of PC World and a new site that we launched earlier this year called Tech Hive. So I'm, I have in charge of many, of too many things. <laughs> <laughs> you are just in charge. I think that's in future. We, I will just announce you as, you know, this is Arjun in charge. This is just, this is just the man in charge. I guess so. I don't know how that happened. I think every time we talk, I give you a new job title. You might as well. Every time we talk, uh, you have I one. get a new job title, so <laughs> it's fair. So Tech, Tech Hive is, is now out of beta, isn't it? It is. It is. It's now official. We relaunched all, uh, all our sites. So we took Tech Hive out of beta and we launched uh, new versions of Macworld and PC World. And we all share the same back-end code and the same CMS. And it's a uh, much more modern-looking si- set of sites and... Uh, and it's going to be better from a technical standpoint because now if there's a bug, we fix it once and it's fixed instead of what was the case, which was you fix it in one site and then it breaks something on the database and then you fix that and it breaks something on the other site and then you fix that and it was bad. So now we have one code base and it's better. I have to say for the record that I am a fan of the redesigns. Oh, good. Oh, good. You know, uh, people hate change and all, but I've actually been pretty happy with their response to the redesigns. There are some people who are grumpy, and there certainly are bugs, and I think nobody's more aware of all the bugs than I am. I could, I, I, I've personally filed hundreds of them, but um, the old sites, Macworld and PC World both were, I mean, they were old, and they were, I'm sure if you're somebody who who it hit the sweet spot you know, perfectly for you, you may not be thrilled that we don't have like just a list of headlines on our front page anymore, but it was not very graphical and um, looked like an RSS reader. I had, I actually had a journalist contact me and say, you made an interesting decision in having a homepage that, that is anti-design. And I said, <laughs> not really a decision, <laughs> but it, but anti-design, interesting point. Cause it was literally just a list of links. And, and, you know, I, I, I feel good since we launched that, um, I've seen several other sites in the tech space and outside who have done very similar things. In terms of their design, CNET's got a design that, that has a lot of the same things that we did. Um, who else? Sports on Earth, which is a new site from uh, a couple of uh, companies in the U.S. put in this joint venture to the sports site. It's got big hero units, like we, we call them, which are those big images at the top yeah. of the pages. And, you know, there, it's, it's – um, who else? There's, there's some other tech site that just did that too. It's, it's not just us, um, and I feel kind of good about that, that we went out on a limb with some of this stuff. And it, I feel like we're kind of in the mainstream of modern um, web publishers. And uh, so, yeah, we'll, I'm glad you like it. Um, I like a lot of things about it, and I, uh, we just have to fix all the bugs that I filed. <laughs> I think what I like the most is you've got the big, like, bright um, hero images and the, the carousel and stuff, but right. then you've got a, a list of stories in chronological order. Right. Now, I am a fan of The Verge, but I cannot go to The Verge's website because I don't understand right, yes, what's new yes. and what's not. Because oh, poly- I was going to say Polygon, their new site, the Vox Media new gaming oh. site, also has the big images at the top, very much like what Macworld and PC World and Tech Hive are doing. No, but, um, but you're right about beautiful. that with The Verge. Is it's, it can be very confusing about what's new 
And you really have to click on their little sort of like uh, what's new button that creates that fly out that I think is chronological. But their actual page when you look at it is kind of a uh, a bunch of different stuff. And yeah. I love those guys. But but um, that was something we took from their design that we wanted to do differently. To, to When in doubt, there is a chronological list of stories that you can scroll through. And that's that's important. What's new? That's important, I think. So you know... What's yeah, going we've on even got right a little now. pop-up that comes up that tells you – it's supposed to tell you, I think, how many new stories have been posted since you last visited or if it's like over a day, oh, how many nice. in the last day. So I, I'm trying. must admit I don't go to the website that much. I'm an RSS guy. Which is fine. I mean that, that was sort of my take on the people who said, I want it to just be a list of links. Like you should probably use RSS if mm. all you really want is a list of all of our stories in chronological order because that's really good for that. Oh, yeah, look, there it is, six new. What's hot? Yeah. Oh, and it pops up. Look at that. Oh, look at that. That's a yeah. show title right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very discoverable because I had to tell you to click on it. But still, that's, that's you know, it's been interesting. We work with Mule Design. People who are on Twitter mm-hmm. may know Mike for the win, uh, Mike FTW, Mike Montero. Um, he It's his design firm. Uh, and they were great. And Jim Ray and... Uh, just a great group of people to work with at, at Mule. And it was cool to work with a, a world-class web design team to build something um, to build something that was going to be cutting edge. It's HTML5 and responsive and all these things, too, that we were, you know, t- full credit to IDG management for saying, uh, yes, don't, you know, be forward thinking and not, um, you know, oh, God, if it doesn't support IE5, uh, we can't do it because we have 1% of our audience is using IE5 and IE6 or something like that. I mean, I've heard those arguments before and they didn't make them this time. They said, yeah, make it HTML5, make it modern. So that was cool. And then that led to a really fun project with Mule. Awesome. So this isn't our main topic for today. but we No, got, it's not. This was yes, hilariously up. sidetracked <laughs> as these things happen. So what we're going to do today, do something... A little bit different. That's what I try and do on this show. I, I, you know, I try and try and do different things. And uh, today we're going to talk about Apple Keynotes, but I want to talk um, ab- about them from the perspective of somebody who has been to a fair few and covers them. You know, the, yes. the live blogging and, and, and what that entails. So, right. how long have you been attending um, Apple Keynotes and special announcements and events? Wow. I mean, since they've been having them, I, I remember. Uh, my first Macworld Expo was in what 1994, I want to say, and so so it's been a long time. Although of course pre Jobs, the the tenor of that was uh, was pretty different. And I I remember when you know the Jobs keynotes at Macworld Expo started when he got back uh, in uh, what 90 I think 98 is when he probably was on was 98 the endless. Gil Emilio waiting for Steve Jobs. I think it was. So really, Sounds it was right. it was sort of ninety late late ninety eight and early ninety nine before we got those. But you know that was when they started doing more of the public events. Uh, and the one I remember the most, obviously, is the iPad or iPod launch, which was in uh, October of two thousand one, and that was a, a come to Apple campus, uh, sit in uh, in the theater, the town hall theater, and executives including Steve Jobs will just come up on stage right in front of you and talk about their new product and that was something that uh, they might have done that with uh, they did that with the iMac at the Flint Center in Santa Clara and I didn't go to that one 
Um, but that was that was the that was the probably the turning point where people realized that if Apple invited you to an event, you went because something big was going to happen. So I didn't go to that one. We actually had been to several Apple invitation things before that were really dumb, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we were like another one. We sent like a couple of people, and it was the iMac, and <laughs> we we learned our lesson. So uh, ever since then, so you know, certainly since two thousand one, and probably since the late nineties. Wow. Yeah, so, long time. Yeah, but it's it's been a long time. But as you say, that they do a lot of them as well, right? And there's more, and we'll talk about that in a bit. Oh yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And if you look at that iPod uh, mm-hmm. launch video, and it's funny, I can see when people watch it because they spot me because I'm in, I'm in it. I'm I'm in the. F- the reaction shots. I think I'm in the third or fourth row, and every now and then somebody on Twitter says, "I think I saw Jason at, at the." Yeah, yes, you did. That was me. I think I'm wearing like a green shirt, and I'm sitting next to John Seff, who still works here, and Rick LePage, who was uh, my boss and the editor in chief back then. And we were in the sitting next to each other, watching Steve Jobs and the uh, and uh, launch the iPod. So there's photographic evidence. I think I've seen a still of that. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's going around. It's funny. Um. But that's me with a lot less gray hair than I have now. Because <laughs> my daughter was – I was not yet a parent at that point. My daughter was about a uh, month away and that was when the gray hair really started to take off. So you're doing your sort of um, best shocked face, right? Whenever <laughs> yeah, sure. Things. Exactly. Well, I mean it was – the iPod was something to process really. <laughs> it was like what are they doing? Because up to that point, Apple hadn't had a product like that that was just not a computer. It just wasn't a computer. Yeah. It was mind-boggling. It's a consumer electronic, right? That was like their first consumer electronic, I guess. Crossed with a, with a peripheral, and they had made like a digital camera and some things like that in the past a little bit. But this was right. different. This was, um, this was a real uh, step out for them, and a lot of people were quite skeptical about it. My only worry was really the price, but I got it. They had to – for that, I, we don't need to spend too much time on this, but they uh, – people didn't understand how MP3 players worked back then. So even members of the press – and so – when they handed out these uh, demo iPods, um, they also handed out a, a, a cube of CDs taped together in a block uh, wow. because they, all, the, um, all the iPods came preloaded with music because they wanted to, you to be able to take it, just open it and play music on it. But they wanted to explain that you rip your CDs to do this and it's all legal. So, um, so it came with these CDs. It, it was hilarious. And, you know, I, like I said, oh. I was there with John and Rick, and we all had iTunes libraries. I, mine was probably about four gigs, so it would fit on an iPod, and theirs were larger than the iPod capacity. So we got it. We got that part of it uh, immediately, but a lot of the people there had no clue about <laughs> digital music at all. It's amazing. So I guess because the store didn't exist, right? So the, the oh, iPods yeah. that they were giving you, they, they needed to be legal, so you had to own the CDs. <laughs> yeah, iTunes, iTunes existed. Um, but just um, had become, you know, from being whatever it was before SoundJam MP. And so iTunes existed and we had done, that was back in the day where you ripped something at a low bit rate, maybe 128. And I actually had, you know, CDs where I would rip some of the tracks because I didn't like all the tracks all that well. And, you, and, and the files were huge. They took up so much disk space that you couldn't have more than a small collection. You know, five, four, four gigabytes of music was, was enormous, an enormous library. Um, but yeah, there was no iTunes store. And so I, I still have. I was looking through. Um, I need to re-rip a couple of CDs. And I was looking through. I've got them out in the garage in like a, a big uh, like album 
of just the discs and the and the inserts and and I got rid of the jewel boxes a long time ago and I and I thought to myself why do I have I don't even remember I think it was some country album and I said why do I have this and I thought oh right Steve Jobs got this for me because it was one of those <laughs> from the cube of CDs and I still have that and I think I've got a Yo-Yo Ma that was in that collection too and it's like why do I even have this and it's oh right it's from that iPod demo because they do explain you put the disc in. It comes out over here, and then it's on the iPod because people just didn't know. And that wasn't that long ago. I mean, that wasn't that long ago. That was that was eleven years ago. That's crazy how far we've come. I, t- I had to to think back, do a double take in my brain. It's like, oh yeah, the store didn't yeah. exist. There was no, no store. It, no, you bought a CD and then you ripped it, and that was the whole rip, mix, burn, and all of that. That was, you know, the convenience was that you could have more than a CD worth in your pocket you could have a thousand songs in your pocket and the the mp3 player i had before that was the diamond rio 500 and it had enough storage that you could put essentially one cd's worth on it which is sort of pointless (laughs) yeah but um and a very slow transfer and you know i can get nine songs on this uh and so that was the big thing about the ipod is it fit in your pocket and it was much higher capacity that was the convenience thing not the fact that you could download your music because you couldn't I mean Napster. There was Napster yep. then, but you Apple could do can't that. say that, right? They couldn't be like you put your Napster library on this. No, and they didn't want to be portrayed as being a piracy device, which is why they, again, why they had their PR people go to like every record store in the Bay Area and buy these ten albums and uh, right, and course. then put them together and tape them in a you know in a big cube and stick them in a tote bag. Yeah, because I guess they could they couldn't acknowledge that MP3s could be got from anywhere. Right, right. It was all about sticking your discs into iTunes. Yeah, it was all about CDs. And then you attach your iPod and it syncs, and that's how you get your music. It's for your existing CD collection and putting it on an iPod. It's crazy to think how, like, an industry has changed that much, and you sit and think now, is there another industry that could change to that degree? It just feels like all the physical media, there isn't anything left to change. Yeah, yeah, I mean... I, I still feel like there there are there are things, but they're not that to that degree of of change. I mean, I, a video. I feel like there's more change to be had. The I look at because um, I still buy some Blu-rays. Um, I have a Blu-ray player, and I yeah. still buy the occasional Blu-ray of something because I see because the movie ends up costing the same on Blu-ray, and I'm an Amazon Prime customer, so the shipping is free. And it costs the same or within 50 cents as the iTunes download. And most of those discs come with a digital copy. And the thing is, the stuff on the disc, there's way more stuff on the disc. And Apple tried to make their enhanced, you know, enhanced format and it doesn't really work and it doesn't really play on. I mean, they've sort of abandoned it. And that's, that's one of those things where I hope um, online, you know, video purchases will get better is I want the commentary track and I want the bonus scenes. I want the whole package as a download that I can take and I can put it on my devices and watch it on my computer and, you know, watch it anywhere with all of those menus and features and stuff. And they don't do that. They, you know, for, for $17, you can get the Avengers on iTunes and for $18, you can get the Avengers with an iTunes copy and all the bonuses and all the commentaries. And so I buy the disc which is dumb. So there's some and TV obviously mm-hmm. if if you can it's just not as easy to make an end run around TV because they've got these huge distribution mechanisms especially in the US but really everywhere where they've got you know individual country contracts and they've got they've got studios and networks and 
and then stations or channels, and they all have their little piece of the pie. And you know, to so to go around them when they've got these um, these huge contracts is really it's it's really difficult because of the money. Whereas the music industry was in such free fall that at some point it just was, I think it just said, well, <laughs> it couldn't be worse. And TV, those guys are still making a lot of money. And, and, and really until they're in free fall, I think uh, it's going to be harder. But those video stuff feels just much more hidebound and old than the music stuff is now. Indeed. To me. Indeed. So in the day that, in the day and age that we're in at the moment, we pretty much know when an Apple event is coming. Um, they're not such the the invitations are not really such a surprise anymore because the rumors, the rumors right. yeah so yeah. yeah when when you feel that when you know an event's coming um, considering your the way that you, that you are different to say me where you know all I've got is to enjoy the event where you have to cover it as such um, do you anticipate them or do you dread them. <laughs> it's a combination. It's a combination, and 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 it varies. This last event, I was more anticipating it, um, and the one before that, I felt I felt more dread, and I don't know why. But it is. It's a lot of work, um, but it also is an opportunity to have n- new stuff to write about, and that's great. So you get that moment of like. Um, you know, it's out of your control. You have to accept that it's out of your control. And then you need to accept that it's a, lo- a whole lot of work, but that it's, um, but it's good because it's a lot of work and a lot of preparation. But um, it's also sort of the stuff that you live for because it's the most exciting stuff. And it leads, you know, it's not just the story saying what will they d- announce and then a live blog or whatever while you're doing it and the immediate news stories that come after and the first hands-on and the review. But it, it, it goes – it extends you know, to the review and to the you know, troubleshooting and when the product ships. And th- there, there's for, – for people like, like us who are covering technology, it's, it's not just an event. It's the beginning of the cycle of the product in use. Um, and how you use it and what are the quirks about it and how do we understand it better, whether it's an iPod or an iPhone or an iPad or, or even a Mac, like a lot of the stuff about the Fusion Drive stuff. I mean, that, that was really interesting. They announced it and they said it's this Fusion Drive and I'm sitting there thinking that's interesting and I, you know, oh, the stories that can be written about that subject. So, yeah. but it's, you know, it is stressful and um, it, it, it's not as stressful as it used to be in the sense that it used to be Apple learned their lesson at that WWDC where everybody's Wi-Fi um, little uh, 3G Wi-Fi router things were crashing the Wi-Fi network so they couldn't demo. And, and Steve Jobs asked for everybody to turn off their Wi-Fi things, mm-hmm. uh, which I didn't do because I was there to cover it and that's how I was covering it. So I wasn't not going to cover it. There was a somebody nearby who was from a – a, a, a competing publication and they actually posted on Twitter, they told us to shut down our Wi-Fi so we're going to do that. Goodbye. And I'm sitting there thinking, amateurs. Yeah. yeah. Good luck, guys. <laughs> I sat on mine so that nobody could see it, but it was still there. Um, so, so anyway, since then they've had Wi-Fi at all the events. Smart move because it was stupid that Apple didn't offer Wi-Fi for the people covering the event anyway. They basically forced us all to buy these cards and they were unreliable. And oh, so so now... That stress, which was, are we going to be able to get on? And if we aren't, what do we do then? 
you know, where you've got a backup plan. Like I had a, I had a Verizon card and then an AT&T phone with tethering. Uh, and if, if the Verizon or without tethering, so if the Verizon card didn't work, would I be sending text messages using my AT&T phone? And if that didn't work, what happened? And we actually, for some events where we had a lot of people, which we usually don't get very many people into these Apple events anymore because the demand is so great. But you, we used to get you know four or five people. We actually had a plan that was the emergency plan where literally every 20 minutes or so, one of the people would leave and contact home base and say what happened and then try to get back in. And if they couldn't get back in, so be it. Then 20 minutes later, the next person would leave and report back in just because you got to have a plan in case everything fails. And the good thing about the way they do it now is that it's been rock solid. I still bring some backup stuff, but yeah. it's been rock solid. A- Apple knows that that the people who are covering it need a, a steady Wi-Fi connection with a good internet connection so that they can do their, their live coverage. And they, they provide that. So it's a lot less of the technical freak out than we used to have. I, I shoot pictures at most of these events, so I have to get my camera set up and tether it to aperture and I've got an automator script that resizes the photos and adds a watermark and emails them back to the office and stuff like that, that I have to remember how to do every time and then lament that there isn't an easier way to do that. But that's the easiest way we found. And we test our live blogging system, which is a third party, which is not my favorite, but it's functional and it stays up. And I'm I'm not convinced that we could write something um, better and more stable because it's their business and it's not ours. But th- that's all the kind of stuff that goes into the prep work. And it is a little nerve wracking, um, that kind of thing. But I'm mostly worried about the technical failures. I'm not really worried about covering right. because covering, uh, we, oh, we've done that so many times now that I feel like it's, you know, it's exciting and it's, but it's also sort of second nature now, I think. So what's, what is your standard field kit? Oh, so, um, so I usually do these events with Dan Morin, and we both have MacBook Airs, I think. I have a uh, – now I have a Canon – what is it? T3i, I think, um, Digital Rebel SLR with a 7100 um, zoom lens and a, and a smaller macro lens. Uh, at the latest event, I was so close. I was People saw me on the, on the TV stream. I usually sit huh. in the back, but I was in the third row. And uh, – so I didn't use my long lens because that would have been like Kim Cook's pores and that was not good. Um, so – and that's just tethered using Aperture and I've got, a, I've got an automator script. And then we're using Cover It Live uh, for our live blogging platform. So we've got a Cover It Live window open. We've got a Google Doc that is an emergency window in the back in case Cover It Live fails. Um, and we've got I think – Beyond that, I think we may even have a text file somewhere via FTP that we could go to if everything fails. And then when I'm shooting pictures um, tethered, they come up immediately. So it's a USB connection from my camera to my uh, MacBook Air. And uh, those come up in Aperture. And if I see something I like, I um, do a keyboard shortcut which is mapped to the automator action, which resizes it to our standard um, slideshow size adds a Macworld or TechHive or Combo watermark, uh, sends an email with attachment with that picture to uh, uh, an online news alias for 
um, all our news people to reuse in news stories, and then I will manually upload it to cover it live, which really annoys me, and I wish they had a way for me to script that so it automatically updated, but they don't. It doesn't work. They have an email gateway that doesn't work, so that's frustrating because that takes extra time. Yeah. And then between shots, I'm doing commentary uh, uh, while Dan is typing just furiously, and he's a fast typist like I am, so... That's uh, part of the gig is you gotta you gotta type really fast. So that's and, and then I've got a Verizon um, uh, Wi-Fi 4G Wi-Fi thing that I, I rarely ever use, but it's there as an emergency backup. And I feel bad because we're paying whatever forty dollars a month and in, in, in a feed of Verizon for it. But you kind of have to have it as an emergency. And then my iPhone also is an AT and T and it's got a personal hotspot on it. So I feel like I've got the belt and the suspenders and the <laughs> stick bag and the poncho and the parka and I've got lots of layers uh, so hopefully I can one of them will save the day that one time where you need the Verizon um, hotspot though it pays for the whole year yeah yeah although it turns out that that hasn't that hasn't been the problem it, the, the when we've had a failure it's been the the live blogging service the, when it's been there were there were a couple iPhone events where both third party Live blogging services crashed. Uh, Cover it live and scribble live, and uh, that set many people off to build their own uh, live blog systems. And we haven't done that. But also, uh, Cover Cover Live, which we use, just um, they charge now, <laughs> and that means that a lot of their load is gone because now it's only paying customers. And I actually love that because we pay, don't pay them a lot, but you know they stay up now, which is great. Good, good. That's. That was the big point of failure. And, you know, and the argument is could we <laughs> – their job is to scale. I mean they do the Super Bowl for ESPN. They, their job is to scale and handle it. And I have this feeling like if we built our own tool, it would not necessarily be any more reliable than theirs. And I'd rather not spend the money to build our own tool if theirs will work. I just wish it was, wish it was better. But, you know, that's been, that's been our critical point of failure. It's not been the people. It's not been the network. It's been the, um, the live blog host. And let's be honest, if, you, if it's going to break, it's nice to have somebody to blame. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and what we, what we ended up doing was, we went, uh, again, we went back to a Google Doc that was being pasted into a text file that was an include file on our server. And it worked. Exactly. I mean, it wasn't great. People had to reload it, but it, it worked. Yep. So do you have any pregame rituals? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. You know, my... Since Dan Morin is based in Boston, uh, he usually – we fly him out and he's staying – he stayed at friends' places in the city. He stayed um, at a hotel by our office. He stayed at a few different places. So my ritual these days tends to be to pick Dan up, especially <laughs> <laughs> if we're going down to Cupertino or in this case, most recently, San Jose. Um, and then we talk on the way down – and uh, and we go to the event. And if it's an event that's in downtown San Francisco, um, my ritual is a little bit less. Usually I come to the office early and drop off any stuff that I don't need for the event and load up my backpack with the camera and the, make sure that I've got everything yeah. uh, situated. And then, you know, have – I caffeinate, you know, have some tea, get ready to go and then go down there when the registration opens, which is about an hour before the event. And then you see – and then the next phase is that you see all the people that you only see at these events. Like I see Jackie from Mars Technica and all Jim Dalrymple's always there. Michael Gartenberg, the analyst, is always there. Ross Rubin, the analyst, is usually there. 
Josh from The Verge, uh, usually Nile from The Verge is there too, uh, Ryan from Gadget, uh, Tim Stevens from Engadget, uh, you know, it, lots of D- Dave Hamilton from the Mac Observer. I mean, it's all these people that I see so often at these events. And it's actually really frustrating because we're all so busy that we get this sort of half hour to chat amongst ourselves. And then, boom, we never see each other again because we're all covering the event. And it's always kind of a shame. This is one of the reasons that I like going to conferences that I'm not covering. Like uh, I was in Singl- at Singleton in Montreal uh, recently, and that was so great because I wasn't covering it. I was at it. I spoke, and then I was participating as a conference person. And that meant I got to talk to people. You know, we get that little window where we're all prepping and taking pictures and tweeting them and saying I'm outside, but also chatting at least a little bit. And then, uh, you know, boom, we gotta, we gotta. They start letting in the photographers, and everybody jostles, and we all go in, and uh, and then it's all down to business. Oh, I should say, grouper. Usually end up talking to John Gruber a bit there too, which is always nice. And then usually we end up sitting close to each other. Not always, but often it's Gruber and Dan Morin and me, which is great because I, I, I love being able to look over at Gruber and, and exchange kind of eye contact. And sometimes I'll, you know, he'll make an observation that's really interesting or I'll make a, a, an observation and ask him a question. And it's kind of a cool, it's cool to have that. It's, there's a lot of, um, collegiality, a lot of camaraderie. Uh, I think we're viewed in some ways as all, we're, we're all competitors, you know, but I, I, I don't feel that generally it's, um, it's adversarial in that way. Everybody wants to do a good job, but like, I think it feels like we all, everybody likes each other. Everybody knows these people and it's nice to see them all. And, you know, that, that that's good because it could be awkward and ugly and stuff, I suppose. And I don't feel that way at all. I feel like, uh, when everybody uh, meets up at these events, you know, we're sitting close to each other and we're commiserating if the network is bad. And I mean, I remember when the, all the live blogs crashed, Jackie and I talked for a while about we had nothing else to do to talk about how terrible it was. <laughs> but it was yeah, and, and nice to see her. So um, that's, that's a part of it that you don't see with the coverage is that it is all of us who do this for a living kind of getting together. And while we're busy with our work, we're also kind of happy, I think, to to see each other and, and uh, say hi and, and, uh, and bond a little bit about it, which is cool. I wish we had more time, but the reality, you know, unless Apple like does an event in some far off place where you literally have to get there the night before and then everybody's going to get paranoid. What are, what are they doing to us? Uh, <laughs> uh, that would be great because then it would be almost like a, uh, a retreat. We could actually have some time to talk, but in reality we get half an hour and then it's down to business. Saying about Gruber, I can imagine that, most people are quite jealous of him because he doesn't need to do live blogging, but everybody else does. Uh, and nobody needs to do live blogging. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, yeah. We, we didn't used to do it. We used to write live news stories where we would, you know, as things got announced, we would do the story and then we would update it with details as the product was being announced, but we didn't actually have a single stream. And it turns out people want the stream even when the videos are being streamed, which I assume maybe they're going to do from now on. Because uh, Apple p- added an Apple Events thing to Apple TV, I think maybe they're going to do that from now on. They've tried it and then stopped, but maybe you know that would be good because then it's not uh, we can do more analysis. But there are still people who can't stream it live. They're behind a firewall at work, or you know their their bandwidth is an issue. And uh, yes, I am envious of the fact that John is not in a position where he has to live blog stuff. Um, that said, you know. I, by f- making Dan Moran do all the fast typing, which I used to do, um, 
it, I get freed up a little bit to do the analysis stuff and that, that that kind of instant analysis where you're trying to see like why they're saying it and what's interesting about what they're saying um, is good. And the more they live stream the events, the more we can both do that. And then then we're getting back to being sort of like reporting and thinking and not sort of like trying to type as fast as Phil Schiller is speaking, which is uh, it's important service if nobody else you know can see it but it's less important if everybody can just tune in the video but yeah gruber it's it's great he gets to sit there and consider and writes little notes in his in his uh moleskin notebook or his field notes notebook and uh he just gets to kind of ponder and it's nice i i get to i get to do a little bit more of that now than when i was doing what dan does now so I want to take a, a very quick break um, to talk about our sponsor Squarespace. But on the other side, I want to get some thoughts of you about the keynote itself and, and then the demonstration area afterwards because um, they're two very, very exciting parts of the day, I'm sure. So I just want to thank Squarespace. Now, Squarespace, they are the company that give you absolutely everything you need to make an amazing website. So Squarespace, they provide you with a fully hosted, completely managed environment for creating your home online, whether that be a blog, portfolio, business site, or basically anything that you need to create a website for, Squarespace can give you the tools to do it. So for as examples of that, I have my own personal blog, which is on Squarespace 6, their new platform, which is MikeHurley.net. But 70decibels.com, the network site, is a Squarespace site as well. So just showing the sort of versatility. Um, you know, podcast producers can use Squarespace in the same way that you can use it for, for blogging or to, to display your artwork. Squarespace's templates with version 6 are really, really very, very stunning. Um, they let your content do all of the talking. They're very clean. Um, you have nice control over them so you can change you know, images, you can change um, fonts and colors and, and everything. They have the Google font library built right in so you have loads of really great web fonts to use. Um, and this is all built into Squarespace. They all have responsive design. Um, so no matter what device you're looking at, if you're looking at a Squarespace 6 site on your new iPad mini, it looks just as beautiful as if you're looking on the desktop. They don't throw up a horrible web view stripping out all the design work that you do. And you create your pages using Squarespace's powerful drag-and-drop layout engine. You just create custom layouts for each of your pages in seconds. You just add blocks of content like uh, markdown text, HTML text, photos, videos, and you can drag-and-drop them around so they make the perfect fit on your page. You can import your content from your current blog to make your switch over to Squarespace, and you can easily set up sharing and syncing with your social media accounts um, so you can have things tweet when you post, etc., etc. It's a really, really great system. gives you absolutely everything you need. There's no credit card required to try out Squarespace. Just go to squarespace.com forward slash 70 decibels and you can start your free trial. Squarespace is only then $10 a month for the standard plan and $20 a month for the unlimited plan. But if you sign up for one year up front, you'll get 20% off that price. If you sign up for two years, you'll get 25% off that price. And if you decide to purchase, you can enter an offer code at checkout to get an additional 10% off your first order. And that code is 70decibels11. If you want to start a place online and you enjoy what we do here, go to Squarespace and you'll be helping to support us and support them. Thanks, Squarespace, for their support. So, Jason, so we, you know, we've sort of spoken about the, the role that you take. Um, so, you, you know, you, you're like the color commentator of the right. IDG team. Um, you, do you usually cover it for Macworld or, is, or do you put the live blog in both in, in on, uh, on Tech Hive? We've been 
putting it everywhere, I right. think. So so it goes, I think, even on PC World, but certainly on Mac World and TechHive. And uh, some other IDGs around the world will take it and run it or translate it and run it on their sites too. How easy is it to concentrate on what's being said and being able to accurately report things? Because you've got, you know, I'm sure that a key thing for you is accuracy, right? You don't want to, to to say something that turns out to be incorrect. Right. So you can be accurate, but it, I guess the best way I can describe it is I when I when I cover these Apple keynotes, I will often watch them again later because you you get lost um you, you kind of sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees we're very focused on the trees when we're yeah. when we're doing the live blog we want to um you know we want to be precise with what we say and make sure it's accurate and 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 give and relay it to the audience now like i said if they stream it live it's a little less so we can be a little more analytical and 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 start paraphrasing and not direct quoting things said on stage, and that's better. Um, but even so, I mean, a, a lot of times I'll watch back, I'll watch the keynote back because people will have a detail that I just missed. That that you know, I they put something on the screen that I didn't get a chance to look at because I was busy typing something or taking a picture, and people will say, "Did you see that little thing that was on that screenshot?" And the answer is, you know, no, I, I just was busy with other things trying to get it. So sometimes you miss the whole when you're trying to sum up all the parts. And, uh, and that's, that's why, um, like after the iPad announcement, I remember that night I went home and I sat down in front of my TV, the Apple TV, and I, you know, I pressed play <laughs> and watched the whole iPad event because I, I felt like I, you know, I'd been there and I'd seen it, but I really didn't need, you know, I really wasn't able to consider yeah, the bigger picture of what it all meant from just having been in the trenches. Do you feel that you've got better at this over time, you know, being able to take in that information and relay it? Oh, yeah. I, I think, yeah, the more you do it, I think you get better at it. And and that's that's for sure. But it's still it's still hard to... If you're serving, if you're serving the audience that's demanding what, you know, the answer to what's happening right now, then... You're uh, you're not necessarily serving the audience that wants to know the big picture after you've considered it for a while. So so it's still a challenge to try and shift gears like that. But it it you know I think you do get better as you go. I think Dan's gotten better at it um, as he's gone along, and I know that when I was doing the fast furious typing, I got better at it as I went along. You you try to learn to multitask. You try to learn what you can pay attention to. Um, what's the most important stuff? You learn to take breaks when they play videos. <laughs> and get and get you know gather your thoughts while the videos are playing because that's a great break when it's just hey there's a video on screen and it doesn't really matter so you you can uh, compose your thoughts a little bit yeah that that explains actually why all the live bloggers go they're playing a video and then <laughs> and then we don't hear from them for a minute it's because everybody is is breathing yeah, the videos are usually just summations or, or worse, it's the ads where it's like, hey, we made an ad. And you can say, hey, there's an ad with jumping around iPods on it or something, but it's not really adding a lot. So we don't need that that's, information. That's break time. I mean, like the ones where maybe the eye video, right? The oh, right. Aluminium right, right. video. Right. That's important. You know, that's stuff right. In right. It's carved out of solid aluminium. To make the yes, you you those or when Big Bob Mansfield appears and explains the highly technical things that are happening, <laughs> yeah, some of that some of that you put in there. But it's um it, like Steve Jobs would always be like, hey, we made this great commercial, and then he'd play it twice, 
That's t- that's break time. Yeah. <laughs> I I tell you, I will miss the the crazy, insane look in Scott Forstall's eyes during those videos. Yeah, you get the sense that he was pumped up. Yeah, like, like he went off, on, Forstall on stage to Forstall. Like he was relaxed. But in those videos, it's like somebody just shoved a can of Red Bull down him. Yeah. Go, Scott. He's like, you could, he feels like he could jump out the screen at you at any point. Yeah, you get the sense. I mean, they all go through training, presentation oh, training. Yeah. So I wonder what his training was like, and whether they were telling him to to back it off a little bit, or 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 to amp it up a little bit. Um, I don't know. It was funny. I saw him. That was like a couple of days before he got fired. I saw him afterward. Oh, really? In the in the hands on area, and uh, he was actually talking to um, Michael Johnson from uh, from uh, Pixar about Doctor Wave on on Twitter. Um, about Prometheus and the, so the last thing I ever heard my last even not even an interaction the last thing I heard from Scott Forstall before he was fired was him declaring that and this is a direct quote that Prometheus sucked no in that voice <laughs> and I'm like okay he didn't like it all right fair enough uh, that movie has divided many reviewers but Scott Forstall thinks it sucked so no he enough. does he didn't think it sucked sucked that's what yeah. he thought. <laughs> yeah. He do you think? A, oh, do you think that maybe, maybe like Prometheus was Tim Cook's favorite movie of the year, and that was the nail in the coffin? I think we we have broken some ground here. I think we've uncovered the truth, which is that Tim Cook is a huge Alien franchise fan, and uh, and Scott Forstall uh, thinks it's silly. I'm now putting into the show description for this episode. Oh, and we'd uncover the truth behind Forstall. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or maybe Tim Cook uh, just liked Prometheus and, and, and Scott Forstall is a very serious alien uh, fan and didn't like it. Yeah. And maybe that's it. Who knows? Who can say no. the inner workings of Apple executives' movie preferences? Not me. All I know is that Scott Forstall didn't like Prometheus. One of my favorite things about those videos is is Johnny Ive um, because his passion <laughs> shows through. Like the guy contorts himself while he's talking and and he yeah. seems to be like quite a good presenter. Do you ever think that he would take the stage? Well, I, I what I was going to say is I wonder why he doesn't and he obviously could – and he doesn't. So maybe he has crippling stage fright. Maybe, maybe, um, or maybe he rambles and they like to get the sort of like concentrated eye. But there's got to be a reason that he doesn't regularly appear on stage. Who knows? Maybe he will now that he's got this sort of different role. Mm. But I, I bet not. I bet that he likes being in the background and likes being on those videos but not having to present at the actual event you know, for some reason, I don't know what the reason is. Maybe somebody who's worked with him could say. Um, and you know, Mansfield is a good example where he doesn't. He he's a video guy too and doesn't come out on stage. And he's I met him. He's personable. He's a he's a funny guy and a smart yeah. guy. And but uh, you know, I I they make some decisions and maybe it's that they don't want too many faces. Um, but I think maybe it's it, with somebody like Ive who is so well known and he's always in those videos. Maybe it's something else. Like I said, I don't know what, but my guess would be he's either got really bad stage fright or his presentation skills are not conducive to the sort of concentrated uh, sales job that they're doing on stage. And so that he's better off being able to kind of talk at length 
in these video sessions and then get edited down into like the super detail. Mm. Uh, you know, they, they have to concentrate his thoughts in the editing. One of those, maybe both of those. So, I mean, Mansfield and I have in their previous roles, I mean, their stuff is probably best pitched to that, right? Because they're just talking about the hardware, which Phil Schiller does in marketing, you know? Right. Right, well, the and they, talk, they talk about details. I mean, that's how mm-hmm. Apple has split it up is that, is that on stage you're talking about products and product information, like it's got these specs. Uh, the videos are all about the details of like why, why they made it and why what they did technically is so brilliant and different and special. And that's, that is different, right? That's, that's part of a different kind of sales pitch where there's the product unveiling with like, here's the product and here's what it does and here's what it costs. And then there's that like, almost, almost like additional color, additional material. It's the DVD bonus video. Um, and that's where Mansfield and, uh, and I've tend to be deployed because they're talking about philosophy or they're talking about an engineering process. And, uh, it's probably smart to make that more exciting and put it in a video rather than I always kind of roll my eyes a little bit when we've got somebody from Apple on stage talking about, you know, oh, these holes are drilled. They're very small holes and you can barely see them, but it's made up of a special process and there's a drill and, you know, your eyes kind of glaze over at that. But in the video, it's better because they can, they can show you the process yeah. and have whizzy special effects while you hear Bob or, or I have talk about uh, what's going on here. And it probably is a better way to sell that stuff. I think that's why they do it. I just wonder, though, in his new role, if I've can afford not to take the stage now. Like looking at the the way that Apple have previously done things, he's got such an important role. You know, design yeah. of everything. You know, but he's he's, he's been in charge of the design of all these hardware products, and he never comes on stage to talk about them. I don't yeah. see how that's any different. I don't think he's going to take a forestall kind of role. I think we'll be seeing Craig Federighi a lot, and of course we'll be seeing. Phil Schiller a lot. Right. Yeah, because Craig could just do Mac OS and iOS, couldn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I, that, and I imagine that'll be what we'll see. Is that it'll be it'll be Federighi and it'll be um it'll be Schiller and you know, maybe sometimes we've seen um, Greg Joswiak some and I think he does a good job. Uh he's been at Apple a long time. He goes way back. He was a PowerBook product manager. So, you know, and I he does a good job. So I I if I've is better off or prefers to not be in the spotlight uh, and would rather just be in videos and things, then I, I, I don't think there's any reason for him to change. Keep Ive in the special room. Yeah, I don't think his job, his job change has nothing to do with his video appearance, right? I mean, there's yeah. something behind why his video appearances happen instead of his personal appearances. And I, I don't think that'll change because it's, it's some underlying issue. I don't know what. So at the events, the special events... Um and everybody goes through to the demo area afterwards. And at the WWDC, you get invited, right? You get invited into the demo area. Right. Um, how long do you – So, what sort of time frame do you get to spend with the products? Like how long do Apple let you in there before they get the cattle prods out and, and off you go? Wow, well, you, you can be in there a while. You can be in there an hour at least, sometimes more like an hour and a half. Um, at some point – Actually, the later times are often better because it clears up and you can actually have time to talk to the Apple people who are demoing right. the stuff and the, the, the crowds disperse a little bit. At the same time, depending on what your, um, what your requirements are, you may need to leave fairly quickly in order to go and write things and report back. So it can vary. But it's, it's 
awfully nice when you have the luxury. This is, an, again, a luxury that maybe John Gruber has that not everybody does, that um, he can take his time and he can stay until they shut it down and talk to lots of people and spend lots of time with the device. And that's always a better thing to do. I mean, that, that's always going to be, um, that's going to glean more information. It's going to let you write a story about what it felt like to use the product that uh, once you leave the room, you're not going to get your hands on that product for a while, probably. And, and certainly not in a way that you can speak about publicly. Hmm. So it's a, it's, it's really important. I mean, there's a lot of, it's crowded and there's a lot of chaos and, you're taking pictures and shooting video and you want to spend a little time getting getting your hands on the products and it can be a challenge and at the California Theater in San Jose for this latest one that's a very small space for a hands-on area it was brutal it was just it was packed it's much easier at your buena where there's a separate room or at uh, at WWDC at the uh, at Moscone West where there's a separate area and there's much more space for people but uh it's yeah it's good to shut it down if you can. If you can go all the way to the end when they kick you out, you're going to get some really, uh, really quality time. Um, the other thing that happens, by the way, there is that if you are somebody who has been given special access to the product where you're going to get the product, um, these people who do e- early reviews, which has been me, although not the last couple of times, uh, the way that works is they, they um, usher you into a, a back room somewhere and then at some point there's a briefing and you get a you get a briefing and you walk out and you sign an NDA mm-hmm. and walk out with the the hardware um never never people assume that you know people get the stuff before the product is announced that doesn't happen but after the product's announcement before it ships that's that window where if you're on Apple's A list you get in there you get the briefing with an executive you get a uh, uh, sign the NDA and you get the product and then you walk away and have some time to spend with it and then on the you know Tuesday or Wednesday of the following week, suddenly at 6 p.m. Pacific or whenever, uh, all the reviews post, and that's your deadline. And that's I, I've done that for some stuff, um, just not just not the last couple. I don't know. People ask me why. I, I have no idea. You you get invited or you don't. Apple chooses who it wants to invite mm-hmm. backstage, and if you don't get the invite, then you go to Plan B. There's a science, right? But we just don't understand it. I, I'm not entirely sure there's a science about it. I think <laughs> Apple's list making is um, is based on there's probably lots of people who have who have input and they have lots of different reasons. I think some of them are tactical and I think some of them are personal. And that's oh fine. yeah yeah I mean like look at Gizmodo right? <laughs> You'll never see those guys again. Sure, and there are people. I mean, I, 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 yeah, who knows? They, they and and I hate to talk about this too much because it. it uh, it's very easy. I've seen people write articles about where they feel entitled to things, yeah. and they're they're not right. None of us are entitled to any special treatment by Apple. And it's very nice when people on the internet say, "I think it's outrageous that Jason didn't get an iPad Mini in advance." Uh, that's very nice of them to say that, but ultimately, you know, I have no right to anything like that it's great when i'm considered for that and i definitely talk to apple and say i would love to be considered for that and for a while i was in that group i get my understanding is that group is smaller than it used to be they they kind of expanded it and then have contracted it again and uh you know it's a nice group to be in because you get a week with a product where you're not where you can't write about it and so you just have to think about it and plan your attack and consider like you were saying about Gruber in a live, a live blog scenario where he doesn't have to live blog it's a little bit like that whereas if you get the product on day one of its shipping 
or like I got the iPad original like a couple days before it shipped. But it was all, all the reviews were posted. I could write whatever I wanted immediately. That's actually way harder because you're kind of doing things live under the gun. And um, there's a great luxury in being able to spend a week with a product considering it before you have to post your uh, your reflections on it. Yeah. So that's that's even more than the exclusivity. I think that's the the prize of being on that list is that you get you actually get to spend time with the product. There's an interesting thing that, I mean, that I feel like is going on that Apple seems to be moving towards singular bloggers for the early access. It would appear anyway, but say that i i think that's i don't think that's true i think uh if you look at the people on that list it's apple always has personal relationships it, it doesn't say it doesn't call up time and say who you got it it calls it's it calls up harry mccracken and says you are invited or or and, and so that extends to jim dalrymple and john gruber and sometimes when writers change publications they will actually kind of the access will go with them stephen levy had that access for a while, even when he left Newsweek to go to Wired. Although I think he doesn't now. Uh, it's probably because he's not really covering Apple for Wired. And uh, Wired, I, I don't know the details there, but I imagine if if Wired said, well, we don't want Stephen Levy to have it, we want this other person to have it, Apple probably said, sorry, that's our invitation is non-transferable, <laughs> which is, that's part of the deal. So, but I don't, I don't see uh, a change there. I mean, Gruber... And Jim have been people who Apple has had a good relationship with and has invited to these things for, for a while. I mean, I'll admit that I, I got Gruber into a WWDC keynote a few years ago, which was kind of funny. Uh, we've come a long way since then. <laughs> <laughs> come a long way since then. But it's, it's – so I, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like it's, it's, it's about single operators so much as it's about um, – as much as I understand it, it's about people that Apple is comfortable with that, and that it are going to make the impact that Apple wants with that first wave of stories. And so there are some individual, you know, proprietors on there, but there's also a lot of um, a lot of websites, large and small, that are on there. You know, CNET's on there, the New York Times, Washington Post, USA Today. Um, those guys are all on there. Um, so uh, plus Gruber and Dalrymple uh, plus. Some other, you know, Slash Gear is on there, which I think is interesting because I, I, that's a small site. Vincent is great, and it's just a small site, so it's kind of interesting that they, that's a choice. T3, I think, is it? The gadget site in the UK? Mm-hmm. Yep. Isn't that right? Yeah, T3 so, is one. Yeah, they get one. So it's fascinating. I, I don't know the rhyme or reason of it, but I, I wouldn't say that I see a trend there. I think... I think it's. Uh, I think the list is actually very similar to the list was pre-iPad. I, th- I think, or or at the release of the iPad, which was uh, several years ago now. I I don't think the list is that dramatically different if you look back. Um, so I don't think there's a trend. I think Apple is comfortable with people like John and Jim, who are not big media outlets, and I think that's great. That it would be sad if Apple said the only people we're ever going to give this to are major newspapers and magazines because that's a very old media thinking. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't give access to those people. Um, I'm kind of one of those people uh, in a way. But uh, it, it would be a shame if it was exclusively that because you'd miss out on some really um, other great sources of information that aren't traditional like that. So before I let you go, I have a couple a couple of questions from our listeners. Um, this is a great Twitter name, by the way, at Tiller the Nun. <laughs> um, he asked, 
this is an interesting question, but I thought I'd ask it anyway. Um, since Jobs, since Steve Jobs is passing, have has the atmosphere changed at all? Do you find the events any less exciting, or, or not so much? I I don't think it's changed. Uh, you know, it, it's changed in the sense that Steve Jobs on stage is not going to be like other presenters on stage, and there's no doubt about that. No doubt about that. But beyond that, I don't know if the atmosphere has really changed that much. I, I, it's the same. Uh, yeah, I, 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 it's a good question. And I guess what I'd say is um, I think the only way that it's really substantially changed is the onstage part of it is different without a guy who is such a great, passionate presenter. Um, the, but that's, that's probably about it. I mean, these events are about you know, the media and analysts and VIPs coming to see new Apple products and there's still, you know, there's still a buzz and it's packed and it's hard to get a, it's hard to get a seat. I feel lucky when we can get two of us in, if we can get a third, it's a miracle. So the demand is high. Mm. And, and so, yeah, I, I, I wish I had, I could say that, oh, it's very different and it's a whole different vibe, but only when, when it's Phil on stage and Phil is fine, but he's not Steve. Nobody is. That, that and when Tim comes out instead of Steve coming out, I mean, I that was a that was a big moment, and uh, it's different now. But th- that's about it, I think. And uh, last question from at Stephen Summer: What's the biggest surprise you've seen at an Apple announcement? What's the biggest thing that's sort of like has, has taken your breath away? Surprise, huh? I mean, there have been so many. There's been so many events. Um. It used to be that the rumors were not as good as they have been more recently, and so you had a you had a bigger chance. Like the iPhone, we didn't have a lot of the details of the iPhone. There were there were there were some details, but the way that was a big surprise. They did a they did a pretty good job with that. That, that was the, the way that the way that story came together was you know that whole are you getting it kind of thing. Yeah. Which yes, Steve, we're we're getting it. It's it was. Device. I mean that that's the that's my favorite keynote. Um, and I watched it again quite recently, and the room was at fever pitch. Like, it was just, the atmosphere must have been absolutely incredible. Were you at that one? Uh, yes, oh yes. And that was, um, that was Macworld Expo, so there were, there were actually civilians in the audience, which yeah. doesn't happen anymore, right? Uh, at, at events, Apple events now, are either, either there are developers there and it's WWDC, or it's just media analyst and VIP invites. The general public has no chance, none chance to go to an Apple event anymore. So uh, other than buying a WWDC pass, at which point I'm not sure you're really a member of the general public anymore. <laughs> you're, you just spent you know, a couple thousand dollars to, to come. So, uh, so yeah, you're not going to get that kind of atmosphere again. The other, the other surprise that I'd say was not even an event. The, the other surprise was when I got a phone call uh, early this year to come down to Apple for a mm-hmm. briefing. And I had no idea what it was about. And there had been no rumors. I thought maybe – there had been some rumors about Retina MacBooks. So I thought maybe – and it was somebody who was on the Apple PR – Mac PR team. Sometimes when you get an invite, you see who, who responds and you think, ah, that's what product it is. Because like, like for this latest one, I talked to a, a Mac PR person and I thought, okay, there's going to be Macs there because that's a Mac <laughs> PR person. <laughs> so anyway, I, I was kind of mystified and I get there and I walk into the briefing center at R&D3 in, on Infinite Loop. And they there's some Macs there, but it doesn't look like anything particularly special. And there's a table and, and there's an NDA for me to sign. And that's standard. 
um, for anything that's coming up that's under an embargo. And at the top of the NDA, there's a little blank that tells you what to fill in with what the product is. And it was filled in with Mac OS 10 10.8. And I went, what? You know, <laughs> I, I was silent, but in my head, I'm like, what the hell is going on? I signed, I'm like, Mac OS 10. They're like, yeah, we'd like to tell you about, you know, uh, that we're going to do Mountain Lion. And it was like, no rumors, just. So that was proof that Apple can keep the clamps on in some cases. And really, it's if, if it's only happening in Cupertino and there's not a supply chain for hardware, they can keep a secret. So that was kind of cool um, that even in 2012, Apple could keep a secret. And it was under embargo, and we all kept the embargo, and those stories went live, and you know it never broke in that week. So, so it also proves that the people who got briefed on it and the people in Cupertino can keep a secret. That's not where leaks are coming from. So I thought that was, that was cool. But, but for the big public events, uh, I, I got to say the iPhone because I felt like nobody really had the whole picture there. They kept that under wraps. And it was such a – the magnitude of that event will, I think, maybe never be matched. Yeah. I, think, I think as an event, that is the number one Apple event because that's such a groundbreaking product. It's had such an effect afterward. I think only the iPod event comes close. Um, but the, the scale, that was a small event by a company that was trying something new and weird. Whereas the iPhone was like history being rewritten in front of your eyes. And that was always what Steve Jobs wanted to do with those events. Always. That's what Apple wants to do. It's live theater, right? It's, it's innovation and technology is kind of boring because it's all about people in labs writing code and, and figuring out things for processors and it's boring stuff, but uh, you can turn it into a stage show and that's always what Apple tries to do. And the, the top example of that is that, is that iPhone event. That was just, that was perfect. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think that, I think that was, there was legitimate surprise there at yeah. the details of that product. So yeah, yeah, that would get my vote. Cause there was so many rumors and, but none of the rumors. Decade there were just, Apple phone rumors. I mean, a decade. Yeah. I'm yeah. not exaggerating. There were Apple phone rumors in the '90s, and they never came to pass. And then the rumors that were there, yeah, they were. They were like, it's going to have a dial. It's going to have a click wheel. That's a dial. Oh, <laughs> it's be an iPod phone, and it wasn't. <laughs> you know, I remember, it and it was obvious because if you you just watched that, they they put up the pictures of like the state of the art of smartphones back then, and it's like a Palm Trio and a BlackBerry, mm-hmm. and not you just like that the the whole industry changed on that day do you remember the uh like the, the rumors of the widescreen ipod or the t- w- w- it wasn't touchscreen obviously because we didn't consider that but it had a click wheel on the back so you would like touch the back of it to control the front yeah or 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 a a slightly inv- sort of semi invisible click wheel on the screen that you would touch but then when when you weren't touching it it wouldn't be as visible which was dumb too. Yeah, good times. Everybody kind of got that one wrong, and yeah. that was great. That, that that a great event, and it's hard for Apple to keep a secret like that. Um, iPhone was so many months away from shipping. Uh, it, right, it was like six months away from shipping, and that and that was how they were able to keep a secret. And like details of the iPad leaked out, but at least it was a few months away from shipping when they announced it, so they could keep some things under wraps. Um, and and that's how you have to do it. I mean, the iPhone. 
the, the supply chain leaks like a sieve. I mean, that's the bottom line, supply chain leaks. And especially now that people are paying attention to Apple, that supply chain leaks. So we're not going to get a lot of secrets. I don't, short of Apple building its own factories and even then building all of its own suppliers, which is just not going to happen, um, the, the, the surprises are going to be more limited. And they're going to be things like software and services that are uh, much more um, in-house at Apple. Those surprises will continue. I love the fact that Mountain Lion was a surprise. That was great. I hope that we continue to get that for software stuff now. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. So, Jason, thank you so much um, for joining me and, and talking about this and speaking so candidly about it. It's been a it's been a real pleasure, and I'm sure this will be an episode that um, our listeners will enjoy immensely. So, what's the, where's the best place for people to find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L. You can visit my websites at macworld.com, techhive.com, and pcworld.com. And please uh, give a listen to my podcast, The Incomparable, which is about sort of sci-fi and uh, geeky you know, books, movies, TV, stuff like that. Uh, and you can find it at 5by5.tv slash incomparable or just go to theincomparable.com and it'll magically take you where you need to go. All of those links will be in the show notes, which you can find at 70decibels.com forward slash C-M-D-S-P-A-C-E. Um, I am iMike on Twitter and app.net, so you can find me in those places. Jason is Jay Snell in both of those places too. Um, I plugging app.net now too don't yeah. I? it's really easy when um, when it's the same username that's much easier you can... and I do stuff on app.net app.net's nice it's much quieter over there yeah ask, ask me a question and I'll probably answer it Twitter is a little harder we can just be the nerds we've always wanted to be yes you let your freak flag fly on app.net that could be their slogan <laughs> I will I'll tell them <laughs> <laughs> so uh, next week on Command Space we're going to be joined by Federico Vitici of Max Stories. I tried to do my best pronunciation of his name and I'm sure we can go through that. Um, and we'll be talking to him about Max Stories and, and his current views on the state of tech journalism and, and all that fun stuff. So until next time, thank you, Jason, for joining us and thank you all for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>